All right, friends, today we are talking about communion, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. It's called uh, a number of different things. But this for me, guys, was always seen through the eyes of Catholicism, because that's what I grew up as, a Catholic, and we did it every week. And it was a very somber and sober time. Now, we've talked about Catholicism on here before. I want to say at the outset, we love Catholics. But of course, transubstantiation is not biblical, the belief that the actual elements are becoming the blood and body of Jesus, like literally. However, I will give it to the Catholics that they approach communion with the right attitude, I think, at least externally. Reverence. Yeah, there's a reverence that's there, at least, again, externally. I mean, as a kid, it was sober for me, but when it was done, I was off, you know, sending it up. So this is about communion. I thought it was communism. (laughs) For two days, I studied the Soviet Union. Quotes from Gorbachev. You should be great. Yeah. We really need to get you glasses. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Who said that? So, but yeah, but I mean, guys, communion, again, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, this is extremely central to our faith. It's very, very important. And so we want to discuss it today. Engelbert Humperdinck, a name so famous, so legendary that Spellcheck actually corrects it for you. But d- didn't he prove that your Is name doesn't real? matter if you can sing? Engelbert Humperdinck. Seriously, that's not his real name. Wow. That was his, that? His, it wasn't his given name. Okay, first of all, let me just say. This is a real person? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm surprised you know who that is. Why? Because I had no idea who the guy was until one day I was driving down the street and I saw his name on a billboard and I thought it was a joke. No. Until my friend Eric Sorensen goes, oh yeah, Engelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> my mom's a big fan. It does sound, does sound what? crazy, What do you mean? He's a guy with a magnificent voice and that's what made him famous. One of, believe it or not, one of the most amazing voices I've ever heard. Myself, but, thank you. But here's what I couldn't believe, Ray. I, I'm blown away right now how much you know about Engelbert Humperdinck. I know about Tom Jones, too. <laughs> That's another fancy name. Because you know what blew my mind about Eng- guess. Engelbert Humperdinck? Because the parents did not check with you before they named the <laughs> child. No, no, worse, worse. Like Ray said, that was not his given name. He had like a normal name, and he then he chose it Engelbert, had options. Engelbert Humperdinck. What if it was like... <laughs> his real name was Fred Smith. <laughs> oh, Emil Zwayne. He had to get as far oh, away from that name as you possible. You know what threw you off completely if it was like Engelbert Humperdinck opening for Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> but Ray, what, what's the significance behind doing something insane like that? I think he's insane wanted, like he wanted to be annoying. <laughs> he wanted to give us something to talk about like four years are. later. Yeah. Did you listen to Engelbert Humperdinck? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Stop you, saying you're, that. You're lips go all over the place when you say oh, that name. Engelbert, Engelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> what kind of music? I imagine like It's kind of like Toy Boat. What? Polka? Is no, that kind of music? No. Was, like a, was he kind of a Frank Sinatra? Uh, yeah, it was right? romance. He just had just, uh, just a magnificent voice. Really nice. Yeah, right, right. Impersonate Engelbert Humperdinck, right? Oh, boy. It's going to sound like an guys, Indian. It's going to sound like an Indian. You know, you've, you've, no, none of you guys have ever heard me sing, have you? On a hill far away. Yeah, we're going to talk about it a little later. I was going to talk about singing ah. when we're talking about spiritual See, gifts. It was timely. I've heard I brought you whistle Engelbert. plenty of times, right? Yeah, I can whistle a little. Prove it. Uh, <laughs> that's all you're getting. Ray, impersonate Engelbert Humperdinck. Okay, this is Engelbert Humperdinck when he's depressed. <laughs> I was waiting for, I love you so much, I want to be your boyfriend. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I was dumbfounded by that. Is that what happened? <laughs> that was it. It all started with a name. He hasn't recovered. Yeah. Boy, Mark and I, we really can't talk about it on the program. Who's but, Mark and um, I? Mark, you never heard of Mark and I? Yesterday we were texting about someone who has a... <laughs> <laughs> Is this embarrassing? It, well, we it, we can't repeat it because there's an inappropriate word okay. in the person's name. It's the end of the name. We were baffled beyond words. In fact, the thing that really baffled us was, <laughs> as another guy said, the brother had options because... It's his middle name. It's his middle, his middle name, which is weird. Yeah. And he it's went by crazy. It. Does your name ever sound weird to you, Ray, when you say it a lot? Ray, Ray, oh, Ray, yeah. Ray, no, Ray, Yeah, Ray, Ray. that does. And comfort, <laughs> Ray, comfort Ray. sounds weird, and so does Marshall. Anything sounds weird if you keep saying it, 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 it. Any word yeah. you repeat it, it just it loses its reality. What is it? With I bet our listeners are really enjoying this. Oh, they're powerful. loving it. <laughs> Oscar, what would it take for you to tattoo Engelbert Humperdinck on your forehead? <laughs> is there any price? Oh, I don't know, 50 bucks? <laughs> 50 uh, bucks. Going high. <laughs> yeah. You ever listen to him, Oscar? I have no idea. Never heard of him? Is, honestly. You're going to look him up after the show. I don't, I don't even know how to spell that. <laughs> I'm out. Well, spell check will help you, like That's I true. said. He was automatic. born in Inglewood. Inglewood. <laughs> 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 I'm pretty from Inglewood. <laughs> so, Ray, back in the day, though, why you know, ask, well, well let me just say me? this. Ask <laughs> no, I'm going to ask you. I think there are so many things that blow our minds when we consider that they didn't used to be around. I mean, like rock and roll, the sound of rock and roll. Hmm. Was it Elvis that really Elvis that? was the instigator. Of, Wait, uh, Oscar's no, shaking his Elvis, head. Yeah, there was a couple of guys before Elvis that Elvis likened himself to. I can't remember who they were. But yeah, it was all a combination of blues and... Whatever. Oscar's about to pontificate. No, he's close. Elvis was like a melting pot of jazz and gospel music he took from the black community and reinvigorated a sound that became Elvis's unique sound that later became the seed that what we know of now as rock and roll, mm. uh, which is why if you listen to old gospel hymns, you'll hear some of the same notes, some of the same rhythms and their percussions. Like the best way to say it is he's took a bunch of beautiful sounding music that he was hearing while traveling the South at churches actually. Yeah. And he melded it together to make, essentially rock and roll. I think none of us have the energy to actually fact check that. So we're just going to go, you're <laughs> we'll brilliant. Just go with it, Austin. Did he have a hand dog? <laughs> you ain't nothing but a hand dog. I haven't sung in a while on the program. <laughs> That's awful. Ray he didn't sing then, actually. <laughs> but Ray, let me ask you this. Before the rock and roll sound, though, what was really popular? Or would it have been Sinatra stuff? And Yeah, yeah the, the music didn't really know where it was going. It kind of got lost in the late 50s. Yeah. And then it... Uh, why are we talking about this? <laughs> There's a point to yeah, everything, Yeah, has right? got a plan. There's got a point a, to everything. has got a plan? Yeah. Where are we going with this? Yeah. Are you going to uh, do your Elvis impersonation? Please oh, 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 oh. What's your Elvis impersonation, Ray? Okay, here is Elvis when he is depressed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm probing into this because of, of where it all ties into... Oh, communion. <laughs> worship. <laughs> Ray, we have talked about songs that elevate the emotions in, in a deep way. What's that song? I, I keep trying to remember it. The opera song. Uh, Oprah sings it? Oh, <laughs> I can't get oh it. yeah, the one that's the one we heard in Vegas that brought us yes. to tears. Oh, in front of the Bellagio. Yeah, when we're filming. it's time to say goodbye. Oh yes, it's just yeah, that just gives me goosebumps. How's it go? Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> Seriously, you not heard it? 
We heard, heard it in front of the Malagio or whatever. The Bellagio with the waterworks show going. Yeah, and we didn't know what it was, and it was years before I heard it, and suddenly it clicked when I heard it, and it's just magnificent. Yeah, yeah. And just the thought of, you know, I think of the the scene in Revelation of the elders falling before the Lord and just and oh, s- yes. casting their crowns and singing, or the, or the seraphim flying, holy, holy, holy. holy. I mean, mm-hmm. the Lord God you, you, you think about how music has become so idolatrous for the world, and yet for us as believers, uh, we're tapping into it. Tapping into it, I get it. You like that? Yeah. In accordance with the mode that it was designed for, you know, to worship the God that gives us. Because one, I mean, when you look at concerts, Really, it's a worship event that's going on oftentimes. Well, the hands are going Well, up. the people are just, you know, I mean, they're with these guys that end up falling into the crowd. I mean, it's happened with musicians. They mob them like they're... Like that Benny Hinn. <laughs> <laughs> Good analogy, Ray. Well, friends, there you have it, a little lesson in music. I took a music appreciation course. You guys ever do that in college? Yes. Did you appreciate it, Mark? I appreciated my A. <laughs> you got, you an, got a. an A? Yes, of course. I don't remember a thing from it. All right, friends. Here's a comment. This is from Izzy Belly Welly. Inglebird hung it. Yeah, but you're going to regret it because this is someone we know, right? Oh, right. Listening nonstop. I've been watching Living Waters videos for as long as I can remember. Before my siblings and I could watch a show together, our dad would have us watch one or two of the videos first, and now I watch them of my own free will. I love this podcast, and I listen all day long to the point where my siblings get annoyed at me listening, but at the same time wanting to know what I'm laughing at. Thank you so much for your work and devotion to this podcast and to all the areas of your ministry. I'm so blessed by it all for this podcast. Your videos, The Way the Master TV program, I started watching after I saw I could watch it free on my laptop. You all are so wise and say so much that really convicts me. I pray that God grows the ministry for his glory for the furtherance of the gospel. Please pray for my dad. He eats his In-N-Out burger with a knife and fork. Oh, I know is that who a this giveaway, is. Ray? I know who this is. That's yes. wonderful. Wayne Burrow. Yes. Oh, you friend. shouldn't really name him. Now everyone knows he eats his burgers with a knife and fork. <laughs> yeah, this is from they his daughter. They sent me a photo of that. Because that's, that's a uh, hard oh, yeah. thing to believe. Remember, someone, we're eating with him, and yeah. uh, he pulls out a knife and a fork. He brought his own knife and fork? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he didn't. No, he, he, he got, got him from And he. He ate that's his burger with a knife and fork. Just think, like, easy. There's someone out there who's a perfectionist. <laughs> no. <laughs> Honestly, I'd try it. Izzy Belly Welly. Thank you so much. What an encouragement. Seriously, how could anyone eat an In-Out burger with a knife and fork? Yeah. You want to get it in your face as quickly as it you can. It was mind-blowing. It truly was a work of, <laughs> work of art. All right, friends. Oh, also, we can't forget, because, Ray, you told me to mention this. Mm. You recently spoke with a missionary brother in a Muslim country. We can't name it because we try to protect our missionaries. It rhymes been, with, no. <laughs> who's been blessed by the Living Waters podcast, right? Didn't he talk yes. about Ray? Yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah. So shout out to you, brother. You know who you Did are. Did you say Praise shut up? <laughs> shut up to you, brother. Shout out to you, brother. All right, friends, this podcast is brought to you by the Bibles for Gospels. Ray, this is a good one. Mm. Yeah, it is good to have the Bibles for Gospels. <laughs> yeah, I remember when you brought it up to me, I thought, this is, this is going to be good. You know, we, we have gospel tracks, but to take the actual gospel from which we get the gospel to produce gospel tracks, and it's put all four of them together is wonderful. So, uh, yeah, it's got an introduction by Ray. It, it wasn't white... the first. We weren't the first to do it. 
We weren't? No, uh, what, the New Testament I, doesn't. <laughs> that's true. What I like about it is that it's the size. Because you can yeah. like fit it in your pocket, your right. back pocket. It's really easy to... If, when you think of like, oh, the four Gospels, that's probably going to be really big and thick. No, no, no. This is essentially something you can walk around with in your pocket and hand out to people yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah, exactly. Why Christianity is in there, common questions about the Christian faith, principles for growth, understanding the biblical gospel. So it's got some good stuff in there. Of course, intermix this commentary from the Evidence Study Bible. Check it out at Living dot we should do a giveaway with that book what book? oh wait a minute we are doing a giveaway hmm. we are aren't we oh giveaway giveaway london ray we're doing a big oh giveaway. yes that's just exploded it's moved to just not only london but around throughout the u.s so we're very excited to be giving away three million gospel tracks in the u.s plus five hundred thousand copies of a 112 page book called defender of the faith and Two million tracks in London, so we're super excited. So it's uh, yeah, run. It is by far right the the biggest event that England will ever see during oh, yes. our lifetime. Yeah, yeah. It is uh, the coronation of uh, King Charles, and there's a good handful of us that'll be making our way out to uh, England, London, yeah. there to uh, hand out the tracks and hand out the books. And there's people like you said are mobilizing all throughout the world coming from the United States, New Zealand, and Australia, all throughout Europe, to come together for the one cause of uh, sharing the gospel with King Charles. He himself, nobody else. We're focused on him. We're going to chase after him. Well, we've got Steve Sanchez coming, and we've got to keep him off that gold coach. Oh, boy. He'll be on the roof. Preaching yeah. to the king. I can see him standing on one of the lions in Trafalgar Square. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Trafalgar Square. Trafalgar every, time, Square. Every, every time there's something going on, he sends a little video of him doing something just <laughs> ridiculous. none of us would think of. Leave it to Steve. The London Eye dropping tracks off as he's uh, doing a loop. On top of Big Ben, standing in the middle of Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps going. All right, friends. Today we are talking about communion. The Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. It's called uh, a number of different things. But this, for me, guys, was always seen through the eyes of Catholicism, because that's what I grew up as, a Catholic, and we did it every week. And it was a very somber and sober time. Now, we've talked about Catholicism on here before, and I want to say at the outset we love Catholics, but of course transubstantiation is not biblical, the belief that the actual elements are becoming the blood and body of Jesus, like literally— However, I will give it to the Catholics that they approach communion with the right attitude, I think, at least externally. Reverence. Yeah, there's a reverence that's there, at least, again, externally. I mean, as a kid, it was sober for me, but when it was done, I was off, you know, sending it up. So this is about communion. I thought it was communism. (laughs) For two days, I studied the Soviet Union, quotes from Gorbachev. You should be great. Yeah. We really need to get you glasses. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Who said that? So, but yeah, but I mean, guys, communion, again, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, this is extremely central to our faith. It's very, very important. And so we want to discuss it today. You know, the the Catholics have cornered it. When I went on the internet, typed in communion, it was just Eucharist, Eucharist everywhere, videos, the Pope quotes and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's a very, very important doctrine, if it's called a doctrine. Yeah. I mean, throughout all of history, God has given us signs and symbols in which we would recognize and renew in a kind of way 
a covenant that we have with him that he has made with us. And so before communion, if you look at the Old Testament, you have a lot of different things. One of them is Passover and the other one is circumcision. And then after Jesus, he transformed those things because of the new covenant and he gives us baptism and communion. And he lays a great precedence on the importance of these sacraments. And you mentioned transubstantiation, just to kind of lay cards on the table and say, what are the different elements out there? Or what are the different views of communion out there before we dive in and talk about the importance? You've mentioned one, transubstantiation, which is a Catholic view. They believe in the physical transformation of the elements. They physically become the body and blood of Christ. But it's more than that. They also believe, according to their doctrine, in real and special grace, that real and special grace happens when you take communion. In other words, communion itself has a salvific power to it, to the Catholic. But they're not the only ones that have a different view. You also have sacramental union or consubstantiation, which is something that Lutherans believe, although... Lutherans would reject the idea, the naming consubstantiation, they would say sacramental union, but they believe a little differently that the elements coexist physically with the body and blood. In other words, they believe in the real presence. They don't believe in the transformation the way Catholics do, but they do believe in a real physical presence and they believe in a reapplication of grace. And the presence is with, that's why it's called consubstantiation. Correct. It's with the elements. Con yeah. with. Con with. Yeah. Sub sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you get a kind of modern day symbolic view. And this is, I think, what you were about to touch on, which is an oversimplification of just remembering. Like communion is simply a symbol. There's no presence. There's no spiritual power. And the idea is, you know, you're you're saved at the beginning of your faith. And once you're saved, you're always saved. There's a fourth, which is a little bit more historic. Some people would call it an orthodox view of communion, which is that the spiritual presence, this is what reformed people would believe in as well, that the spiritual presence of Christ is in, with, and under the physical elements of communion. In other words, there's a, while there's not a physical presence in the way that Catholics and Lutherans believe, they do believe that there's a spiritual presence with communion. And the Reformed or Orthodox view believes that you are saved but you are, it's not so much once saved, always saved. It's that you are saved and always being saved. You are never moving away from your need of the gospel. You need the gospel just as much as you need it day one to day 4,872, great comfort. Uh, <laughs> and they also believe in a kind of covenant renewal. This is important because a covenant renewal is not a reapplication of grace, but it is a remembering of the covenant that God laid before you. And the best way that I describe this is it's a lot like when you renew your vows with your wife. Nobody thinks like, oh, after 10 years, they're renewing their vows. They must have not been married yesterday. They must have unmarried themselves at some point, and now they're remarrying themselves. That's not how we view vow renewals. We view vow renewals as there's this beautiful, special moment in which a couple comes together and say, this covenant is 
equally as important today as it was day one Hmm. that we got married. The love and covenant that we made before God is the same love and covenant that we have now 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later. Communion is that kind of vow renewal. It's not the renewing of grace, but it's the remembering of the covenant that God has made with us through the act of communion. Can you run through that again? I missed it. <laughs> sure. So, Ray wasn't listening. <laughs> I really was tuned in. That was very interesting. No, that's a great summation, Oscar. And it is important for believers to know the different nuances that are out there and then to, to really examine what Scripture says. But I think that in light of what I opened up with, there is this irreverence when yeah. it comes to communion. Like you're saying, it's, it's, just, it's, it's become flippant. Mark... It might have been you and I that heard about people that were actually doing like marshmallow and Coke uh, for communion and, Whoa, and doing this. Oh, yeah, like, you know, youth groups and stuff in this modern age. I mean... Don't they read scripture? Yeah, it's, but it's like, that's what's happened in the church to where things have just become like, oh, whatever, right? I mean, it's absolutely tragic. It but more sums up the modern church, marshmallow and Coke. Yeah, you know, just, pretty much. I remember when I was a uh, new believer... We were having communion at my uh, at my church, and a pastor reminded me of this scripture in First Corinthians eleven, verse twenty seven. It says, "Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord." Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And the reason why. He brought to my remembrance this text after we had communion and we're eating lunch over at his house. It's because I knew which communion cup he would grab when the tray was passed and he would sit next to me and I would go to grab my cup and I would put my finger in his cup, the center cup, and then I'd pass it over to him and he would always grab that cup. Wow. And then he finally said something. And he brought up this text, and he, he uh, rebuked me. Wow. And the reason why he would always grab that cup is because he didn't want somebody else to have that cup that he put my finger in. And it was, so you were t- deliberately doing it? I was yeah. deliberately doing it, knowing that so he, would, he would take that. Yeah. I, yeah. Can't, I can't ever see you doing something like that. I, I think I mentioned before when I was in a, <clears throat> our local church where I was in charge of communion, and the guy that was leading it got everyone to bow in prayer, and he took the covering off the communion and there was no bread I'd forgotten the bread <laughs> and so while he was praying I rushed out of the church ran across to our house which was about 300 yards away grabbed it and got back and put it under there before he had finished his prayer wow. Are you serious? I'm serious That's something Ray would do Mark had the thought he wanted to finish he said, yeah, I, I was just going to say oh, to, sorry, to your Mark. point right that we, we need to approach communion for the purpose for which it really is designed we remember what Christ did, his atoning sacrifice. We remember what he did on the cross. We remember the resurrection. We remember the finished and complete substitutionary atonement that Christ did on our behalf. We pause, but so many times, like the Church of Corinth, they would approach the communion table, the Lord's Supper, in an unworthy manner. And there's different ways, and we could get into that on how they did that. But I was guilty, if you would, of just not having a reverence at the table. And he rightly corrected me, rebuked me. And I've always, since that point, as he rebuked me in love, have been uh, sober and somber in my approach to communion. Yeah. And and the passage you cited, Mark, from Corinthians is heavy because it talks about how some sleep. I mean, that some... Some have died. Some had died because of, you know, 
inappropriately approaching the Lord's table. Yeah. And then let me just add, because actually, and I'm not trying to be divisive here, just a conviction that at least the church that I go to has, which is the verse right before that, because a lot of guys don't talk about 1126, which is, it talks about frequency. For as often as you eat and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, or Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and of prayer. And I think another thing, and I know that this many churches don't do this, and I'm not trying to be controversial in any way, but I do wonder, and I have not heard a good biblical argument for why we don't do communion every Sunday. And a lot of churches do do that. You know, a lot of Presbyterian churches do that. I do not go to a Presbyterian church, but we do do communion every Sunday. Why? Because Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves. How often do we teach on Sundays? We teach every single Sunday. How often do you pray on Sunday? We pray every single Sunday. How often do you take communion? A couple times a year. You know, and so, I mean, from the scriptures, this is something they did regularly. As a matter of fact, through history, for the first 500 years before the pulpit existed, you know what was at the front that everyone stared at while they prayed and read the scriptures? It was the communion table. Right. They would put that up there and everyone would reflect on the communion, the meal that they were about to have as the preacher taught and prayed. And then we move that aside and put a pulpit up. Right. So in other words, the important, and I'm not, and again, I'm not saying that sin, whatever, blah, blah. I'm just saying there was a precedence that we met on Sunday for a meal and that meal was communion. Hey, listener, have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has a hundred dollars. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. Yeah, Oscar, I, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, when Mark and I pastored together years ago, our church partook of communion every Sunday and every midweek service. And this is not popular in the church today. And honestly, I do wonder how did that change? Because I'm convinced the early church did partake of communion. You know, you cited Acts 2.42. Oftentimes people say, no, no, that's talking about the breaking of bread in terms they just ate together. But the definite article is used in there, the breaking of the bread. And so there are places where we see, yeah, they were eating together, but this was the Lord's table. You know, this was communion. And there's a spiritual significance involved in that. Ray, I, I know you, having been a pastor yourself back in the day, you look depressed, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Three and a half years, the number of tabulation. Yeah, I just wrote an article on that for Focus on the Family for Pastors and yeah. how I empathize with them and how that three and a half years was very, very important for me so that when I traveled to hundreds or thousands of churches, I'd have an empathy for the pastor and I'd realize the privilege I had of getting in his pulpit. Mm. 
I mean, he was trusted. We just didn't let anyone into our pulpit when I was you know, pastoring a local church, assistant pastor. It was a position of trust. So it's like the pastor's saying to me, here's the keys to my car. I'm sitting in the back of my family. Please stay on the right side of the road. Sure. And because it's that serious, you know, you get some guy who's uh, flipping in your pulpit or, you know, irreverent, and it, it can bring down the whole church and you've trusted the guy. So, yeah. Yeah, so what were you going to say? So <laughs> I was going to say, obviously you had pastored and being in the ministry, that you recognize that's an important part of worship for believers. Oh, yes. Partaking yeah. of the Lord's body and blood and remembrance of, of what he did for us. Yeah, we, we celebrated the Lord's Supper regularly. And I, I've always examined myself every time I have communion, which we're told to do. Mm-hmm. And that is what's very sobering because you realize what grace is when you examine yourself yeah. under the light of God's holiness and you realize what's going on. I'm examining you right now. That's a really nice shirt, Ray. <laughs> oh, nice Oscar, shirt. Oscar gave me a stack of his shirts, which I, I'm really pleased about because he's got great taste. In With them. your massive biceps, Ray, they fit. They I'm surprised they fit. <laughs> they, rip, they rip around the biceps, but I can handle it. <laughs> your tattoo is showing at the bottom of the... Oh, Ray, it's a secret. you got to bust anyone. out that tattoo sleeve you have. Oh, yeah. oh I haven't seen that in a while. You, someone, I think, really thought Ray had tattoos. He has this, what is it? It's like this. It's like a stocking for the arm, but it looks like a tattoo. I don't know where it is. <laughs> I must have lost I'd it. I'd love to take a picture of you with that, Ray. Post it everywhere. Yeah, so communion for me, again, like I said, really was a big part of my life growing up, I believe, in in the wrong context. But the other reason why it's significant is because that's when I really determined I was going to be a good person when I was a little boy. And I did As my Catholic. First, yeah, I did my first Holy Communion. Mark, oh, did you, you did, do that really? growing up Catholic or no? We didn't have communion. I, I, we didn't do any of those things like that. We yeah. just called ourselves Catholic. Okay, so you, you weren't practicing. This is in Lebanon. This was here. This uh, here. I was about, I think, eight and in the Catholic Church, there are two main things you do as you're growing up. You do your first Holy Communion, and then you do your confirmation. Do you remember the classes? Because you take classes oh, yeah. for all that, right? Well, I remember the classes distinctly because we learned the Ten Commandments. Ooh, how interesting. And I remember <laughs> specifically, they were going over the commandments, and they were saying, what does this mean? What does this mean? And they got to adultery, and I raised my hand. And I said, what's that mean? I said, trying to act like an adult. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like so sincere. And I thought, of course, that's what it means. And they all started laughing. I'm like, and they go, yeah, well, kind of. (laughs) That's really funny. And uh, But I remember when I did my first Holy Communion, what you do is you have to go and you have to go into the confession thing with the booth with the priest yeah and confess your sins you know i'd never done that before is he behind uh, sort of a little something a wall or something yeah there's like this little booth and there's like a screen sort of so how do you know someone there it's not just a recording (laughs) imagine right it's like siri they're probably gonna come out with like our like uh, android or droid you know priests probably in the future but i remember for me it was especially terrifying because i had to do it with the bishop because there were so many kids, they split it up with the he's priest and the, the bishop. Oh, yeah, he's wearing the big hat. Stop I mean, this it, was a big real? deal, yeah. <laughs> and there was no screen between us, because the, the, I guess the priest was in the confessional, so I had to go into this kind of other room, and he was like, I got on my knees, and he's like, oh, it was terrifying, wild. man. And this guy was intimidating, too, you know. But I determined from now on, I'm going to be a good person. And my life reformed. You know, I created this long list of do's and don'ts, things I'll always do, things I'll never do. And and I kept it perfectly, Mark, perfectly. But I say that to say there can also be so much deception 
in the biblical practices that Scripture gives us when we don't have the right understanding of it, when, when we don't... Remember, Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. Let me just read it for us. Luke twenty two seventeen to 20. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And so remembrance is a big part of communion. It's remembering what the Lord did. It's remembering his sacrifice on our behalf through which he redeemed us. It's not only looking back and remembering what Christ has done, forgiving us of our sins by dying on the cross. It's recognizing what he is doing, keeping us in Christ. And it's remembering, it's also remembering that we take communion, not just with the people that we sit in the pews with, but actually, I mean, this is something that, that I reflect on often when we're doing communion. When I take communion, I'm not just taking communion with my small church in Rancho Santa Margarita. I'm taking communion with all of the saints Mm. around the world, we are sitting at the same table with Christ. I love it. Not only that, I am taking communion with all of the saints throughout all of history. Mm. In other words, like you think about your loved ones who were believers who have died, you are the closest to them when you take communion on Sunday. I know, Mark, you saw John Bunyan's, you know, gravestone, and that's like a moment of reflection. Every time you take communion, you sit at the same table as John Bunyan and Jesus Christ. You sit at the same table that the 12 disciples rolled their knees under in the upper room. And so when we take communion, we do it with the saints together as God's family. And then the other thing that we remember Not only remember what Christ has done, we remember what Christ is doing, but we remember what Christ is going to do. The second coming should be in light of communion as well, recognizing that he is coming back to reconcile the world to himself. Wow, that's good. Mark, you were talking about how you got to a point in your walk with the Lord where you became sobered about communion. So what's it like for you when we come to partake of communion? What goes on in your heart and mind and... How do you well, I, I like you. I, I agree that. I like you. We, uh, <laughs> He's I never like heard you. that. I like you, but I don't like you over there. I like you. That just sounds weird, doesn't I, it? I, comma, <laughs> like you, comma. think that we need to do it more, and the reason why is for that purpose hmm. of thinking that Christianity is not about us. Amen. Because we are being told all day long that this world is about us. You know, we go to work all day long and we get a paycheck and we're expecting a certain amount of money on that paycheck because we work hard and it is all about us. Mm. Christianity has nothing to do with us. Amen. And communion is that one time, that one ordinance where we pause and we are reminded that it has everything to do with the death of Christ, not with our death. Mm. It's not about our performance throughout the week. It's not about the good we've done, the bad we've done. It's about him. And so it puts us right back to ground zero. Yeah. Right. It's that pausing. It's that Selah. It's that moment where we just say, it's about you this week. Mm. It's about you. Those things done, whether good or bad, were about you. But either way, right now, I, I look forward. I focus onward. I'm pushing upward because it's all about you. 
That's what I like about communion. That's because good. when we are able to pause and do that, we are more thinking about where we should be thinking, and that is about Christ and his work, not about ours. Amen. You know, Ray, in the Gospel of John, there was a big falling out over <laughs> communion when Jesus talked to his disciples about drinking his blood and eating his flesh. And, and it says many of his disciples left him. They walked away. And I think that that's speaking to the cost of discipleship. I think there was a misunderstanding there in one sense that they were thinking he was speaking physically and he clarified you know, that which is spirit is spirit. I mean, he was speaking of you know, that which the words which I speak to you are spirit. I think also connected to that is just the cost of discipleship for the believer. And Ray, you often hit on the fact that there's a big problem in the church today because that cost is not spoken. The cost of repentance and denying ourselves and taking up a cross and following Jesus. Wouldn't you say that's why we see a weak church today? Oh, yes. You nailed it when you said there must have been a misunderstanding because when you read it in face value, Jesus is saying, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you know, you cannot be my disciple. That's repulsive. Hmm. Drinking blood, eating flesh, it's cannibalism. Yeah. And there was no, Jesus didn't sort of lead up to it gently. It was just blam. And they were offended and they left. Hmm. Then he turned to his disciples and said, will you, will you leave me also? And G Peter said, you know, where will we go, Lord? You've got the words of eternal life. <laughs> one of the most powerful you're, passages. Yeah, though. you're speaking stuff that's just too heavy for us, but we've got nowhere else to go. But yeah, John 8, 31, 32, Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. And mm. we have a lot of people who are disciples, not indeed, they're disciples in word. They give God lip service. They draw near to him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. And I think there needs to be a division in the modern church and to say to people, you know, there's goats among the sheep, there's foolish virgins among the wise. There are believers who are not disciples because they don't continue in the word of Christ. Mm. There's wow. not an obedient heart, which is what happens in conversion. You have an obedient heart. You're not saved because of an obedient heart, but the result of salvation is a heart that thirsts after God's will. You know, I, wow. as I was preparing for this, I remembered my first communion. The first time, not my first communion Catholic, the first time I had communion, yeah. uh, I was in my mid to late twenties. You know, as we talked about before, I was an atheist through high school and college. And I remember coming to a saving faith and it was about a year where I didn't partake in communion because I didn't feel, I didn't think I was good enough. Like mm -hmm. I was, I was really still trying to understand God's grace and I knew that I was a sinner and I knew about his forgiveness, but I was just afraid to take that communion. And I went on this retreat and, you know, my Bible study leader at the time at the retreat was like, Sunday, we're going to take communion, Oscar, you know, you should really pray about, about taking it. And we sat down, we talked about it Saturday night. And so I went to bed that night and the next morning I, I woke up truly, even I was like, I'm not going to take communion. You know, I don't think I deserve it. And as they were passing the elements, I just started bawling my eyes out, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I realized, yeah, that's the point. You don't deserve this, but Christ did. And that righteousness is what he's offering to so you. So that revelation came to you at that particular moment? Well, I knew it here, but I didn't, I'm poking into my head for those listening. I knew it in my head, but I didn't, it didn't quite penetrate my heart yet until communion. And I sat there and I took the elements recognizing this is on behalf of this is because of my savior that I am being invited to this supper. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it takes, I mean, I'm thinking about it now or I was thinking about it and it's honestly, it's a reverse from Genesis because if you think about it, the serpent says 
take and eat. And he did that to invite them into a world of sin. And Jesus reverses those verbs. Those verbs become verbs of condemnation to verbs of salvation when he says, take and eat this bread and this wine, this cup. He reverses that curse. And I think that day, that became more of a reality to me than it had ever been before. Oh, Mm. that's so powerful. Yeah, and you know, there's this, I think, misunderstanding, right? That we have to be perfect to partake of communion. I think, you know, in examining ourselves, we need to see, am I living in open rebellion and sin against the Lord over which I'm not broken and repentant? And now I'm gonna come casually up, just pop the the elements. Whoa, that's really the sense of it. And I think, look, if a believer has been living in sin and he's coming before the Lord's table and he has an epiphany kind of like you did in a sense, Oscar, there and then and realizes, man, I, I have sinned, what am I doing? And repents before the Lord and cries out, then I think he should partake of, you know, the Lord's table. That's what it's representing, the gospel and what Jesus did. I love praying before a meal because it kind of serves the same purpose in that I'm pausing. I'm not just thanking God for the food. I'm obviously grateful. It's often where I'll finish a meal and I'll, I'll pray again, just thanking God for the food yeah. that I just ate. But I'm, I'm thinking back upon what just transpired between kind of my last meal and this meal where I'm, I'm thanking God. You, you and took I'm, four naps. I, I took four, four to four <laughs> naps. But that continual time of prayer, that continual contemplation, that continual looking upward, prayer does that, oh, right? Cool. And so there's a good reason to pray before your meal, right? And Jesus looked up and he prayed. Communion serves that same purpose. And that same purpose is that we always pause and remember the death of Christ. Pause and remember the death of Christ. It's so important. Why is it important? Well, Christ knew that it was going to be important because our minds would wander and think that this world has something to do with anything other than him. And that's not the case. Yeah. We pause and remember his death and what he Amen. did. Yeah. And look, I would say again, a good case to make for the church doing it as often as it meets is Acts 20 verse seven. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and so on. So, I mean, it's very clear here. They're not talking about, hey, when they got together to eat, they ate all the time. But this was obviously the day when the the body would gather because of the resurrection of Christ. They came together to break bread, you know? And so again, we're not going off on different churches. I'm surprised all three of us, you know, here agree. And I'm sure Ray agrees of the importance. (laughs) Um, No, but I mean, the three of us spoke to that, you know, it's just wonderful. The three three of us have done well today. (laughs) (laughs) We won't say which three, but it's a beautiful, beautiful privilege that we as Christians get to participate in. Right, Oscar? That's a really good word. That's a good transition because one of the things that we haven't talked about is taking communion in the presence of non-believers, which is really, I actually think it's important and it's a beautiful symbol of God's grace and what he is doing. And when I, when I lead communion at my church, what I'll often say, I'll ask people to abstain if they're not believers. And I'll say something to the effect of like, this is a family matter and a family meal. It's kind of like when you go to a wedding, you know, everyone's invited to a wedding. You got 200 people at a wedding. Everyone's invited to be there. But we all know that like the family and close friends, they have a very different experience. They go to the wedding rehearsal. They go out to dinner. They're there to help the bride to get ready. They're there to help the groom prepare himself. They're there to pray with them. They get their own table. They get the meal first. Everybody recognizes we're all invited to witness, but there's a special audience 
there, there's a special unique experience when you're a part of the close family and you're part of the wedding party. And in that same way, you're all invited to be here at church with us. But this is that special thing. This is a family matter. And we would love for you to observe that. And we would pray that one day you would partake with us in that. Ray, wouldn't you say it's a testimony to unbelievers? Like Oscar's talking about when they're observing the church? Yeah, I, I think so. It makes them feel they're apart from believers, which they are. Yeah. They're like on a plane without a parachute and they're going to jump any second. You want them to realize they don't have a parachute on and that's a good way to do it. Say, no, you, you don't, don't even touch that bread. Don't touch that wine. If mm. you do it unworthily, you're going to die. Mm. Huh. Let the fear of God fill their heart. Wow, that's heavy. You know, I want to wrap up with, with this really powerful quote. This is from uh, the role of the ordinances taken from a book called The Deliberate Church. It says, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 34, the Lord's Supper is several things all wrapped up into one. It is first an opportunity to express the unity of the church. It is therefore second, a fellowship of God's people. Third, it is intended as a symbolic remembrance of Christ's sinless life and atoning death on our behalf. Fourth, it is intended as a proclamation of Christ's death, resurrection, and return. And fifth, it is a built-in opportunity for self-examination. So is that Mark Deborah and Paul Alexander. But yeah, man, it's so important for us to go beneath and examine and to understand that. And honestly, I wish churches would teach more on communion and expound this. You know, I mean, churches do that with giving. They do that with worship. They do that with evangelism some, (laughs) but to really open up, hey, this isn't just this thing we do. This is a significant spiritually dynamic time where there's some important things going on here. Amen. Amen. All right, friends, there you have it. Another one for the history books. Again, don't forget the Bibles for Gospels and the Evidence Study Bible at livingwaters.com. Don't forget to send us emails to email at livingwaters.com or no, that was podcast at livingwaters.com. And how many times have I said it and I still can't remember it? It's I'm embarrassed for you. (laughs) It's my brain problem. But yeah, friends, send us your comments, your thoughts, your questions. Remember to give us a rating and all kinds of comments. Maybe we'll read them here on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. After we butcher your name. What's that? After we butcher your name. Of course. (laughs) We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters podcast, where we still have no idea what we're doing. chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline, California. Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina. Andrea from Anderson, Indiana. Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. Lowell from Yakima, Washington. Don from Charleston, Illinois. John from Ford, Australia. Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Willen Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.